Welcome to Let's Connect. It's Keith McPherson here, and I'm really glad you've decided to join me for this week's episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by one of the most positive people I know on the planet. He works for Microsoft. He was one of the first employees of Microsoft Canada, and he's the author of the new book, Microsoft Secrets. Dave Jaworski's here, and he's going to be sharing a lot of wisdom and positive energy with us all. I just can't wait for us to buckle up our seatbelts and get a download of this guy's amazing energy. Have you ever had one of those days where you feel like just nothing is going the way you want it to? You know, you're late for work, you're stuck in traffic. It just feels like nothing is in sync. If this is you, you're not alone. It's so common for us to get out of sync with life when we're bombarded by all the noise of the outside world. We have our phones buzzing, emails going, just the pressure of trying to keep up with everything. It can be quite overwhelming these days. I, um, in particular, have been trying to put together a list for myself of all the things that I can do in those moments when I feel like I've just kind of lost my way and I'm just feeling a little bit depleted. One of those things that I do often is surround myself with people that just have great energy, people that lift up my spirits and uh, make me feel better. One of those people in particular happens to be our guest on the podcast today. His name is Dave Jaworski. I met Dave originally when I used to play back in a a church band at St. Ignatius in Winnipeg. And uh, this is where I got my musical start, actually. Dave was in the band before me. He was the the guitar player, and then he ended up moving away, moved to Seattle, and then he moved to, I believe, Nashville after that. He's now in Nashville. And I uh, took over, but in the in the interim of taking over, I, I got to meet Dave, and we became really, really good friends. And when I was touring with my band, Keith and Renee, Dave always used to put us up and just take us out for dinner, and it was just awesome to get to know this guy. And the more I got to know this guy, the more I was just blown away by his positive energy. Dave has got just some of the most amazing insights into life and how to navigate and how to create. He's just hes just like a magic guy. I really, I, he's one of my mentors. And so I'm just really, really excited to introduce you to him today on the podcast. Um, just in preface, before we go into the conversation with Dave, one of the most memorable things that I ever learned from Dave was um, this idea of a a practice that he has in his family called love on. And I believe he'll speak to it a little bit more during the the conversation with him. But just for those of you that are wondering, what does it mean to love on? (laughs) I was uh, talking to Dave and asked him, Dave, what are you up to this weekend? And he said, we're going to love on my uncle. And I said, you're going to do what? And he said, we're going to love on my uncle. And apparently in his family, they have this tradition where they literally get together and they celebrate each other's lives. If it's someone's birthday or someone's done something great, they've coined this term love on. And uh, I just thought it was such a great way to uh, lift people's spirits up. So I'm hoping that this podcast in particular, if you've been having a tough week, you're looking for a little inspiration, trying to find maybe um, just some new ways of thinking about things. I'm really hoping that this podcast lands perfectly on time for you today. Dave has just this amazing way of channeling the spirit through. And um, so without further ado, let's meet Dave Jaworski. All right. I'm sitting in one of the coolest offices ever 
at one of my dear friends' places in Nashville, Tennessee. Dave Jaworski, thanks for being here on the podcast. Keith, it is great to be here with you. Yeah, this is just awesome. I've been talking about you for years every time I go give a keynote, and people that listen regularly know you are, like the, to me, the founder of the movement Love On. So it's just so cool that you're here and we get to love on you. And love on everybody that's tuning in and listening in and just love on everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much, I have so many questions to ask you all about your life and career. And, um, but I want to start right now with just um, telling everybody about your book a little bit, because this is really new and exciting. And the book's called Microsoft Secrets. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about the book. Well, I spent 10 years at Microsoft early in my career and got a chance to really know Bill Gates. And all these wonderful books were coming out about Steve Jobs and Whenever I saw anything about Bill, I was like, that wasn't really flattering. And that didn't, wasn't really how I saw it, being at the table at the time. And I thought so many wonderful things were happening back then. And Microsoft was celebrating its 40th anniversary. And a new CEO was named Satya Nadella. And it was back to having an engineer in charge, back to having a visionary in charge. Steve jo- uh, Ballmer did a great job. He was an operator, though, very different from the Bill Gates time. And I thought, wow, Microsoft's got its mojo back. It feels like the early days again. And I went on campus and it was noticeable. It was like walking on to a totally different place than I'd been before. And I'd been there many, many times over those years. And it was like, wow, the energy, you can feel it. This whole place is alive again. It's changed. And to that fact, 17% of the new hires at Microsoft now are boomerangs, people who were there, left and came back. Wow. And so in one week, I got asked about uh, five times, so you have a book about this early period? And I'm like, no, no. And then it happened three times within an hour. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, God, are you giving me a sign? Like, should I write this book? (laughs) And so I decided to do it and and write down the story. And I talked about that 10-year period when we went from dead last in every category. We had one number one product called DOS. This was way back in the early days. Way the back. The beginning of Microsoft. We were a startup. I mean, we weren't even a publicly traded company yet. I was the third employee at Microsoft Canada. We opened the doors with seven of us. Wow. 735th employee in the world. And today, of course, 120,000 employees and over 125,000 alumni. I mean, it's a massive company. And it, it uh, was one that... Started off with a vision, Bill's vision, about a computer on every desk in every home running Microsoft software. And at the time, people said, a computer in every desk and in every home. Like, why would that many people need a computer? Right. And And today, it's it's like, how many do you have on you? You got your cell phone. Some people carry a couple phones. Uh, Their kids are using iPads. They've got, you know, a Surface tablet over here, a PC, Mac over there. And you look around and you're like, Wow. Unbelievable. So it, let's just like rewind it way back because this is fascinating. One, the third employee of Microsoft Canada, like how did that come about? And how did you even get into this whole line of work? It's just amazing. Yeah. So University of Manitoba, I, um, I went in and I wanted to be uh, a successor to Jacques Cousteau. So I was going to dive with the whales. That was the wow, vision. That really? Was, that was the vision. And I, uh, <laughs> I learned, so I got certified for scuba and I learned I had very narrow sinus cavities and I would be signing up for one of two things, a life of severe head pain (laughs) (laughs) or, or a desk job (laughs) and it wouldn't be me and the whales. And so I thought, okay, I got to change this plan. So a year into my degree, I switched and uh, made computer science 
my major. And the reason I switched, um, just to put it in context, back in high school when computers were first coming in and we had one at our high school, I thought, oh, this is just like a big calculator. You know, it's for math, mm -hmm. right? And all the sm smart math guys were going there. And so I thought, that's what it is. I go to the University of Manitoba, and on the orientation tour, they have a box. Do you want to see the computer lab? And I thought, why not? So I'll see the computer lab. <laughs> so we go over to the computer lab, and every single project that the master's students are doing, and this is way back, way back, they are doing it to help people with temporary or permanent disabilities. And so they're doing research on how people might use a mouth stick to write out sentences on a computer so that even if they're disabled and can't speak, they can still communicate. Wow. And that just hit me like, oh, these things are going to change people's lives. Wow. They're going to make them better. They're going to give capabilities to people to keep them connected. They're going to do so much. I want to be a part of that. Wow. So that's what got me inspired I and run it full circle. You know, come to this past year, we now have people who are walking down the street who have, who are blind, legally blind, and they're able to navigate on their own. They're able to go in their own home and to pick up items and understand what they have, not because it has a tab, um, some kind of a tag on it, like a braille tag, but because they can hold their cell phone up to it and it will tell them what it is. Wow. And we have the ability now with eye movement to go and have people. So what they were doing with the mouth stick, they can now do just by tracking your eye movement and you can communicate. So people who are totally in a wheelchair, totally have no use of their limbs, um, can just by tracking their eye movement, they can communicate. So this has come full circle. It's real. This technology has come to help us in many ways. And some would argue not so many well, ways. We were, yeah, <laughs> we were kind of talking about that a little bit. It's a, a very interesting time right now. I, you're taking me all the way back to high school for me when they first introduced, um, I think it was yahoo.com and it, it, we had a computer lab. And I remember thinking, why on earth would I ever want to go in here and study computers? Like, is this has no, no relevance. Yeah. I had the complete opposite experience. <laughs> and I remember they said, just go on your menu bar and type in yahoo.com i'm like this is a bunch of yahoo <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile you're next door in the lab going you know this could change the world <laughs> just incredible i love this yeah um so i want to get a little bit well more let's let's be clear i wasn't next door because no, you're well, so much younger than i am i uh dave i was trying to like give you a few years of your life here man <laughs> back <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm, I'm 58 now and um i did my whole degree on punch cards and the the when i graduated the very next class coming in got to use terminals like computer screens with wow. keyboards attached and do it in real time in store that way and i'm like i got gypped <laughs> that's, a, that's hilarious yeah wow so um one other question i had for you just back to the technology side of things right now and i mean there are a lot of amazing inventions and good happening and at the same time we were talking earlier about like some of the craziness that's happening where you know, the phones are picking up on conversations and sending advertisements and whatnot. And a lot of people are finding um, that they're addicted to the phone like they would be to a drug. Sure. Are, are you seeing a lot of this happening in oh, your world too? Absolutely true. And we talk about even this coming generation of technology, AI, artificial intelligence, which has been around in a variety of forms for many, many years. Microsoft's been in artificial intelligence for over 30 years. But you, you start to say, what are the ethics of AI? 
And some companies don't want to talk about it. But, but we think it's very, very important because the whole um, concept about thinking about bias that's built into the AI. So if you're going to use artificial intelligence to help you make hiring decisions, there was a popular case uh, just recently, Amazon turned it off. They started it and then they realized it was, and they ran it against their data of hiring for the history of the company. And they looked at that and they realized that there was bias in the data because they had hired mostly males to do a lot of this work. And so the AI was basically looking at that data going, oh, therefore we should hire more males and bias towards a male versus a female if all other things are considered equal based on the data. So the data has bias and this AI is written not by AI yet, Yet. <laughs> but it's written by humans and these humans have bias you right. know there's some bias that they could build into the code so we think it's very important to be uh, aware of the bias that you have when you're coming to the table and how you ask the question you know it's kind of like leading the witness but this time you're doing it in code and so it could affect a lot of people right and also the data can have bias like the case that happened here so you've got to make sure that when you're you just loading sample data to train your model how to work in AI, that it's actually not bringing bias to the table and influencing future decisions and then magnifying those. Right. So uh, a lot of caution needed uh, with all this technology. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. And it's like anything that we've, we've got in our world. You know, you can use um, a lot of tools for good, a lot of tools for bad. So it's, it's really going to take good leadership, great leadership uh, to cast the right kind of vision, take advantage of this technology. We see it more as augmented intelli- intelligence versus the bots are coming and they're going to run the world. Mm, <laughs> so I see what you're saying. <laughs> it's going to help us. On this topic of leadership, I know your book must cover quite a bit of this because um, well, just knowing you and knowing what you would write about when it comes to the secrets of Microsoft, there must be a lot of leadership components to this. In the early days, I mean, what what do you attribute the success to this company? Um, like, why did that happen? And just give me a little bit more about the, the leadership background here. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I tried to write about were the many unsung heroes behind the scenes that people like Rich McIntosh. And by the way, isn't that the perfect name for a guy who works in the computer industry? Rich McIntosh. Who is working for Microsoft? Working for Microsoft. How ironic. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we were the number one provider. Office works on Mac. I guess, okay. (laughs) Yeah, we we love Macs. Okay. Um, And as you can see by my home office here, I'm ambidextrous. I've got the uh, Mac (laughs) and there's a PC beside it. Yeah, you bring your Apple iPhone to work too. Yeah, exactly. I call it the iPhone Pro though because it's got all the Microsoft apps on it. Oh, I see. (laughs) So they're becoming more and more compatible. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Actually, there's a few things where we wish it wasn't such a walled garden. We can do things on Android that we can't do on the iPhone because Apple's put up some walls. But uh, nonetheless... It's a fabulous platform. So leadership, come back to that. I want to hear yeah, leadership. So I, uh, looking at these unsung heroes, uh, the one thing I admired about Bill Gates is he was not shy about bring, bringing other great leaders around him. So it wasn't just Bill's show. Bill had uh, with him uh, John Shirley. John Shirley came from Tandy. John is one of the smartest people I've ever met. He uh, serves on the board of directors. He actually would have continued to be the president of Microsoft for many more years than he was, but he had a double perforated bleeding ulcer and a very serious health crisis. And so he stepped back from day to day um, to and just be on the board. But these people that Bill surrounded himself with, Frank Gaudet, Scott Oakey, Rich McIntosh, etc., were brilliant people. He, he wasn't just about, I'm the smartest guy in the room and I need to be the smartest guy in the room. He's like, 
I want to find other great people. And the idea will be good begets good begets good. It'll become this positive spiral Bill would talk about. Wow. And so he wanted to bring out other great leaders. And he was not shy about having you challenge that. So uh, a great discussion with Bill could end up in those early days with him yelling, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. (laughs) Really? And what you'd have to do, though, is realize, okay, either he's right, (laughs) (laughs) maybe that was a really bad idea, or maybe I haven't done a good job convincing him of my point uh, or the the point that's trying to be made or maybe the truth is somewhere between us did you ever have an experience like this where you'd bring oh, sure. it to the table and you'd say that is a terrible idea yeah or really? why what are you thinking and bill like, gates sure to dave jaworski sure unbelievable okay <laughs> <laughs> and uh he you'd go through business reviews with bill back then and so you'd get a chance and he would he would absolutely speak his mind and the <laughs> the one thing that was was so awesome you'd be starting a presentation and you're just a few minutes in and you hear the question comes either from Bill or John, both brilliant. It'd be uh, page 20. And you're like, I'm on page two. I'm, <laughs> it's over. I've lost control. Wow. And uh, there's, there's a number here. I just, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense and, or whatever it would be. And they're just so fast, very fast minds. But the cool thing about it was you didn't take it personally. If, if you really understood what Bill was saying or John was saying, you don't take it personally. What they were saying is, I really want to get to the best answer. I want to get there quickly, but mm. I want to get to the right answer. They weren't about, I have to be right. It can, you could be right. That's yeah. totally cool. Right. Um, and it was about getting the right answer. It wasn't about that pride. Was that communicated directly to you guys or was that just kind of assumed on how they carried themselves? Well, you learned it from the outcomes because the questions weren't, the types of things that they were trying to get to were the results. What's this going to mean for the customer? What's this going to mean for the business? Why are you think? Why are you breaking it down this way? So they they were rewarding um, the right kinds of decision making as mm. opposed to it just being um, subjective. Mm. They were really looking for the data. And so one of the things we would do in a business review is we would have you know the front part of our presentation, we would be thinking about what are we going to talk about, but we'd have more than that many slides behind an appendix, if you will, so that if they ask this, we go to this slide. If they wow. ask this, we go to that. We try to anticipate every question that could possibly be right asked. Right at the edge. Yeah. That's and then amazing. sure enough, there'd be one that they would ask that you didn't think of. Uh. So <laughs> they're just so good and so smart. It's like playing chess with somebody. My brother, Rick, is a brilliant chess player. Hmm. I don't think I've ever beat him in a game of chess. <laughs> and it's like he's thinking so many moves ahead on the board. And you felt like that in these meetings because they would read it and be thinking of the implications of it. And then the next implication, then they'd be coming back with a question about that. And so wow. you'd have to quickly figure out where are they in analyzing this and, and what's the right answer. But at the end of the day, it wasn't about... And this is where I think there was a difference between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. It wasn't about Bill having to be the smartest guy in the room. Right. Bill loved surrounding himself with really smart guys. Right. Um, I remember the day he was uh, telling us that he'd hired Dave Cutler to come over from digital at the time. Dave ended up creating a, an operating system called Windows NT for new technology. And it became the thing that let us do so many things. I mean, the core of that still lives on in a lot of what we do. And when Dave was coming over, they were saying, oh, he's you know, a really smart guy. And Bill's like, no, no, you don't get it. This is like having God join your team. <laughs> I mean, he was so excited about how 
bright Dave was and wow. all the innovation that was going to come with this guy. He wasn't challenged by other smart people. He loved that. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, as you're talking, I'm just, I'm so intrigued because the culture of this company sounds like this, the t- from the top down, it's that perspective of everybody's got a gift and the best answer wins, but like, I'm, it's not about me. Right. I, I'm just curious. I know there's a lot of listeners that are working in cultures where it's the opposite right now. Sure where people are, you know, the top down is just all control and fear-based and my way or the highway. How do you shift culture in your perspective in in that environment? Well, right now it's happening. Um, Our culture became a know-it-all, smartest, we're the smartest people in the room kind of culture uh, over many years. And when Satya came in, he was introduced by our uh, Kathleen Hogan, who runs HR now, came out of our consulting practice and is a brilliant lady. And she introduced him to Carol Dweck's Mindset. Mm. And great book yes and the the readers if you're not familiar with that book, that's if, if the listeners want to check that out, that's a great book to check out. And it really moved Satya. And he said, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to change the mindset. We need to go from know-it-alls to learn-it-alls. So when you come into a situation, and if this is one of the lessons I took away from the early days of Microsoft as well, stay curious. Always Uh. stay curious. And by the way, that's not just a work tip. That's a tip for your personal life, your relationships. So Susan and I have been married for 36 years now. Yeah. And I went to a, um, to a consultant, a, a um, counselor, just to say, how can I be a better Dave? How can I be a better husband? And uh, this was several years back. Mm-hmm. And he said, tell me a little bit about Susan. Sarah and I talked and talked. And he said, you're not curious anymore. Really? I, said, I wow. said, what do you mean? He said, you're taking her for granted. You think you know her because you've been together so long. You need to get curious again. And bring that spark back. And so when Susan loves a particular kind of movie, why does she like that kind of movie? If Susan finds that this one scene moved her more than another, why is that? Why? And just start to dig into who she is. You don't know the half of her. You know, you've got What a challenge. Yeah, it was beautiful. And, And that same kind of mindset works at work. If you go in and you say, hey, the, you know, we're going to a customer. Who's going to know the business better? You coming in from the outside or the customer? Well, of course the customer is going to know their business better and they're going to know their need better. You are going to have tools in your toolbox that are going to help them and bring value to them. At the same time, you don't want to come in and, hey, I have a hammer so everything looks like a nail and I'll just drive it home. Yeah, just like go to the uh, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you want to really help people get to the value. And so if you go in with a curiosity and an open mind and all of a sudden you'll find there are things that you would have otherwise missed right or and you know if there's a group of people in the room and you're getting all the contributions from one person well the others have something to offer how do you draw them in how do you encourage them to participate in old days there mm. were times when it felt like one person could dominate the entire meeting and that was fine yeah that doesn't work anymore right. you need to pull in the input one of the best examples of this is a guy I met in the music industry, uh, Ted Cohen, who worked at EMI. And Ted was getting harassed mm. <laughs> by a guy named Daryl. And Daryl was, uh, Ted. Ted's uh, older. He's been around the industry forever. He's worked with all the big bands, the Who, everybody else. And Daryl was telling him he didn't know squat. Wow. It's like, 
you don't get it. Daryl was a teenager at the time. And he's like, you just don't understand. You're missing the point, Mr. Big Shot EMI. Right. So Ted hired him. And said, Whoa. Yeah. Ted said, you follow me around and you tell me everywhere I'm wrong. Wow, that and took all, a lot of and guts. That was that was really Ted having this open mindset, this yeah. learn it all curious mindset. It's like, you know what? I believe you have a point of view that I'm not getting, that you can help me learn. Right. And so it's like that kind of mindset where you just crack it open. So all around Microsoft now, there's notes on the board about an open mind, keeping an open mindset. It's talked about constantly. So how do you do that as a leader? How do you change your culture? First, you have to model it. Right. And you have to really reward it. Um, if you're going to be curious, it means you're going to occasionally ask a dumb question. There's no such thing. It's okay. Mm. I mean, why would I might consider or have previously said that would be a dumb question? And you got to say, well, why did they ask the question? Right. There's something they don't know. There's some aspect. Maybe there's a different perspective. Yeah. So you start to stop yourself from prejudging things and start to go in and say, okay, I may have some bias. Instead, you become aware of your bias. Right. And we talked about AI having bias. We've all got bias. Absolutely. We've all grown up under some set of circumstances. Conditioning. Yeah. Some of us have had a single parent home. Some have had two parents. Some of us have had a home that was embroiled in battle all the time. Others have had a home where it was just love and kisses and humor all the time. Some of us have grown up, you know, working the street and and pounding the pavement hard for uh, our first nickels to get going. And others of us have had it easier. I mean... We all come to the table with all of this stuff built in and it biases how we think. We may have grown up in Winnipeg and we may have grown up in Dubai. Right. You know, different types of environments. They're going to be totally different in how we experience the world. So the question becomes, when the other person's at the table, what do they know? How did they come to that? Why did they ask the question? And you start to do little queries and get to really relate to people. This is the thing that computers are going to be a long time in getting. Yeah. And that is how do we relate to each other? What do we learn from each other? And when you have that open mindset and you get your culture to have that open mindset, you start to move super fast. That's amazing. It changes everything. What I'm loving is you said open your mind, which is principle three in, in my book making sense of mindfulness. And there really feels like there's this movement towards it more and more. Absolutely. To open your mind and maybe because of technology and how connected we are. But under the surface, I think that we're tapping into this place of just more and more connection. And we have to we have to deal with that. We have to face that because it's yeah. our essence in essentially, yeah. right? Well, those tools have, have, have in many ways helped us connect. I think about the fact that, you know, my parents... Uh, live many miles away from us. Uh, yeah. We're in Nashville. Their grandkids uh, are here, a couple of them, and one's in Austin, one's in Seattle. We've got gr- uh, great grandkids now for them. And in the old days, you know, you, we had this vision of the Jetsons where they'd come up to the TV and they'd talk to each other. <laughs> right. And now we do that. You push a button it's and they're there. It's called Skype. It's called FaceTime. It's called Zoom. It's called whatever. But people are doing it all the time. They're video talking to each other all over the globe. Right. And so the beauty is that my parents can see their great grandkids on a regular basis. And when they do get to come and physically be present, they're not strangers. They're picking up where they left off a week ago in their video call. How cool is that? That's this? so I awesome. Mean, yeah. Right. And then there's the other part where our daughter Sarah was at dinner table and they had everybody put their phones in the middle of the table. And they said, what, what's, what's this about? And they said, well, we're also engaged in our phones. We're often together, but we're not together. Right. So they put them in the middle of the table, and whoever touched their phone first got the dinner bill. 
Wow, <laughs> that's a great game. Yeah, isn't that great? How wonderful. Yeah. Who, so who lost that one? <laughs> uh, not Sarah. No? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's just, you think about this technology, it can be something that really brings us together and yeah. lets us communicate more effectively. Yeah. And then it can also be something that disconnects us. We, we can be present, but not present. Right. Which is, again, to your point about mindfulness. So I think that mindfulness is something that we have to conscientiously choose to do in our life, in our daily life. We need to do it in our business. I know of people in tech companies now, and some groups of Microsoft even do this, where they say, close your laptop during the meeting. Wow. Because they find that people are doing email, they're doing other things. We actually have they're left the building, even though the they're bu- there. Yeah, they're not yeah. present. They're not really present, and so you're not getting their full value. We have some people who believe that you, your camera should always be on when you're on a call, because then you're going to see: Am I paying attention or am I not there? Right. Great strategy. <laughs> yeah, little things like that. And um, I, I'm a fan of having the tech there. I mean, I use a tablet where I can write with a pen and Surface tablet. And so for me, it's my notebook. And I like to take notes while I'm listening. But I, I will shut off the email. I will not do the email. And and just to keep me honest, we have this thing called Workplace Analytics that's built into Office. And oh, yeah. if your company uses it, it will tell you, you spent this much time in meetings. These are the people you connected with most in the past week. So kind of really? brings to a point of who you're working with. And it says, and you sent email in this percent of meetings you were in. It's like, oops. Whoa. So it gives you the truth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, that's and, amazing. and that can become a tool to help you personally just be aware of just like Apple on their, on their new um, phones have screen time yeah. to tell you how much time are you spending on these screens. Wow. So yeah. there's all these ways that we can use it to help us connect or disconnect, and I just encourage people to be mindful and to, to pick up a copy of Keith's book and read it because it will help you use this technology wow. in a more meaningful way, and it will help you engage with the people that you're present with. Right. Well, and I just I want to get into something else here that's popping in as we're talking. Is I mean, you're one of my heroes, my mentors. I, I mean, I've known you for quite a while. We used to play in the same church band at different times, but yeah, yeah. we've kind of lived a lot of parallel life in a way. Um, I see a lot of myself in you. And the thing that strikes me a lot about you is, is your compassion and kindness and transparency and truth. Like these, these moral values that you live, you're the real deal. Like I, I see you. you show up that way. Even yesterday at the book launch I was at, um, a woman was like freezing because they placed the poor author standing in line <laughs> under an air conditioner. And Dave gets up and goes and offers this woman his jacket off his back because she's freezing. But you, you constantly are doing these acts of kindness and you're so aware of all these. How do you tune into this and how did that have you always had that who inspired you and how do you become so conscientious like that it's just so inspiring well i i'm first inspired by my mom and dad um and i i had an amazing examples <clears throat> growing up and watching my mom and dad how they loved each other how they worked through struggles how they were a team inspired me incredibly um and just uh, to this day inspires me. So I had a beautiful home. I was blessed to be born into uh, Richard and Natalie Jaworski's family. <laughs> mm, great <laughs> but, parents. I can oh, absolutely. Blessed to be their you. son. <laughs> and and my uncle, uh, who's uh, Monsignor now, Father Stan Jaworski, Monsignor Stan Jaworski, um, at an early, early age, I, I knew he was a special man. And I knew he had a special relationship with God. And I just... I don't know what it was. Um, I don't know that it was a thing. It was more 
when you're in his presence, you just feel it, you know it, you see it. And just watching their examples, you know, my dad opening the door for my mom, my, um, my dad being a person of concern and compassion and taking everybody seriously. Um, my dad sold Burton Cummings of the Guess Who, our hometown, his first home. Really? And he shows up and there's this young guy there with, you know, long shoulder length hair. And at the time that wasn't that common. It wasn't as common. You know, my dad is, you know, typically wearing a suit and showing up in his real estate. And he shows up and he said, and I remember him telling me the lesson was you treat everybody with respect. You treat everybody with kindness. You treat everybody seriously. You know, Mm -hmm. the old saying is, you know, take others seriously don't take yourself too seriously. Right. And he did that and he practiced that and, and Burton bought his first home. And my dad (laughs) was just saying, you know, you just don't know. You don't judge a person by how they look or anything. You give everybody that love. And then for them, they had a radical conversion in their life. When I was a teenager, Jesus went from being this historical figure to someone alive in their life now. The spirit is moving now. This is not a story about history. It is a story about history, Mm -hmm. but it's a story about now. And what that meant was how you hold yourself accountable and actionable in every moment and every day, being fully present, Mm -hmm. mindful, and being mindful that, you know, we are all made in God's image. That's what the word says. And we're all to love each other. That's the great commandment, right? Jesus came and said, I know there's all those 10 commandments, but I can make it really simple for you. <laughs> love on each other. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, the originator of love on. The originator of love on. Yeah. So I just, wow. uh, I copied that idea. It wasn't an original. Yeah. Amazing. But love on each other and love on them the way you'd want to be loved on. Wow. And you know what? I, I want to say that one thing that I, I've seen many times when you tell people you should love, just love on people like you want to be loved on. Um, they, for some reason, many people don't love themselves. Yeah, and as a result, that sentence actually causes pain, and so you first need to learn to love yourself, and and give your realize how unique and beautiful and special you are, each and every person. How can we do that? Let's start with that. I just want to. How do you do that? Well, the way that it worked for me was start by recognizing that God loves you, and that they, those may be words that don't make sense to people if they haven't been raised in a in a home of faith. They don't. They may not know or feel that because maybe they didn't have a father that loved them. And so when you say the father, God, the father loves you, they're like, yeah, some people, heck no. Some people are heck like, no. Like get away crossed. from me. Yeah, right. you're the devil. You're you're telling me this evil lie because that's not my experience of men in my life or whatever it might be. Yeah. And we've got horrible stats. One in four women in our country, U.S. or Canada, is experiences abuse. Uh, in their life. Mm-hmm. And we've seen just how prevalent it is with some of the Me Too and other movements coming out. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 horrific. And, and usually the saddest part is uh, one in five will experience a violent act and it will be from someone who told them they love them. So it's usually close to us. It's not often a stranger. It's somebody that's close to us. So how do you start by loving yourself? Um, I think it starts off with looking in the mirror and and just staring deeply into your own eyes for a while and recognizing God sees you for who you are, for your heart. He's, he knows you've got warts and pimples. We all do. <laughs> and it's not about you being perfect. Right. He's, he's not saying, hey, why don't you come and get to know me when you got it all figured out? Uh-uh. He's saying, yeah. now, 
today, I love you that way. Uh. You got a drug problem, alcohol problem, I love you. I, I, I don't, I, he separates the thing it's from the, the person. Love, it's yeah. just, I love you. I, it, God's essence is love. And when you get to know that, and if you, if you say, I, I think the best way to do it, if you don't have a relationship, is just to say, Jesus, I want to feel that love. Show me. Just something simple. It doesn't have to be fancy words. Say it in your own way. Mm-hmm. Invite them in and see what happens. I know people have done that who have had profound experiences. And I know people where it's been like a subtle whisper. Mm. You know, it's almost been. And some, some people where it doesn't initially feel like something's changed. And then over time, they feel it. But my belief, and I've, I've got so many people who have had wonderful stories of this. If you invite him in, he will show up. You have to give them permission. Sometimes we just block them because we won't give them permission because we've been hurt by somebody else before. And so I think you can learn to love yourself first by reaching out and giving God permission to let you feel his love. Mm -hmm. And, and at the end of the day, I, I, I shook the hands of a murderer a few years back. Mm -hmm. He's uh, since died. He wrote a book um, or a book was written about him and an art director. It's called same kind of different as me. And his name was Denver. Denver grew up a slave in the South. And he was beaten. And he had a, I don't think you'd have a much harder life than what Denver experienced. And he admitted to murdering somebody when he was younger. But if you read Same Kind of Different as Me, um, you'll come to a story of a redemption where somebody had belief and faith. It was actually the art director's wife who went and just served in a soup kitchen in one of the hardest parts of the city. Wow. And just loved on this guy, loved on him, loved on him, loved on him. At first he was like, get away from me. What do you want? I'm, I, and he put on a very mean exterior to scare people so they would stay away from him because he didn't want anybody close to him. Wow. And then he, she broke through that by just loving on him, loving on him, loving on him. And he became a guy who got to love on people and just share what had happened in his life. I mean, it's a, I, I get chills even saying it. he was amazing. So there's so many stories like that. Just say, give, give God a chance. Give yourself a chance. Forgive yourself. That's another big part of it. Yeah. You know, forget it. The past is the past. Yeah. You got today. It's happened. You've yeah. got, yeah, it's done. It's over. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, today is today. And, and it sounds trite. You've heard the saying about, hey, the future, you can't see it, but it, it's the present is the true gift. The present. Right now. Play on the word of the present. Yeah. But the bottom line is that's what it really is. You get to choose every day when you get up, are you going to look in the mirror and say, you're loved, you're a good person, and you can make this day amazing, or are you going to beat yourself up for something? Your self-talk is going to help your day turn one way or another. Mm -hmm. We listen to ourselves more than we talk to others more than others talk to us so the first thing you got to do is start talking to yourself well yeah reprogram those thoughts in your head yeah absolutely love on yourself i love that wow so so that was like step one but then is there more to this that you were you were saying the first step is to well the the other thing is uh, if you're if you're finding that hard uh, the next step is to make a list of gratitude what are the things that you're thankful for? And don't stop writing. Fill a notepad, fill a notebook, fill a few notebooks. Just keep writing every little thing you're thankful for. And that's going to change your outlook. And why is it going to change your outlook? Because after a while, you're going to start thinking about others and it won't be about yourself. 
And when you start to think about others, and you start to give and love on others. Maybe you can't love yourself first. Maybe you need to go love on some other people first mm-hmm. and then let some of that come back to you. And when you make it about other people and not about yourself, all of a sudden the world opens up to a whole, that's like another unfolding, another layer unfolding. Wow. I love the way you're speaking about this. Um, it's also just, I'm thinking about the connection of just love, like is the bind that, that brings us all together. And it really is. It's too bad that, that so many people have soiled the word by trying to turn it into something perverse and it's not it's the most beautiful thing yeah. i mean there's so much beauty in our world right now we're in the fall season and the leaves are changing and you if you just step back and be fully present you know sometimes we can just drive from a to b and not see anything on the way right you ever find that you Absolutely. you left your place you arrive and you're like i really don't remember anything in between right <laughs> i wasn't really where present. was i yeah. how did i even get here yeah. exactly and you drive on autopilot but we go through autopilot in our life we miss all the little things that are going on, the little things that are, I call them God winks. You know, they're, they're <laughs> things that are happening in your day that, you know, a baby smiling, a flower growing, um, the leaves changing color. I mean, people are going to think I'm a very uh, uh, airy fairy guy here, but I, I, I really mean it. There's so many ways. If you look for those moments of light in your day, you look for those little sparks of joy, you'll find them. Yeah. And, and that's the, the next step is... Make a decision for joy. Choose joy. Mm. And that phrase has more meaning in my life than probably any other phrase. Choose joy. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why, if I may. Little, oh, please. Little this story. is amazing. So my, my brother Wayne um, died in 1990. He was married six months, and he came down with leukemia, and he died in 46 days from the time he was diagnosed to the time wow. he, he went home. And I was sitting at St. Boniface Hospital in the parking lot. I was reading a book by a guy named Tim Hansel called Holy Sweat. And mm. Tim was a mountaineer, and he'd suffered a very bad fall. This is a true story that he's writing about himself. And when he fell, um, he'd injured his back in such a way that he will have pain in his back for the rest of his life. And his message was, in every moment in life, you can choose joy, not happy, happy, yeah, you know, not forced, yeah, like that kind of... No, not, not, not happy, happy, like some, but it's a choice. Or you can choose misery. And he said, I choose joy. And I'm sitting there in the parking lot of the St. Boniface Hospital about to go in and see my brother who's dying. Whoa. And I'm like, okay, Tim, I, I don't belittle your pain that you've got in your back. This is my brother dying. I love my brother deeply. I am, mm. I'm grieving for his wife who's you know six months married newly wed you don't expect when you're newlywed that this is what you're going to be facing yeah you're thinking about the honeymoon period you're thinking about love and the world is the best you can ever imagine and you're watching your spouse die and my mom and dad you don't expect to bury your child absolutely you know so i thought how can i choose joy in this moment and i don't mean this to sound like oh i'm some great guy because i chose joy I don't, that's not it at all it was like i want to love my brother and, and the best way i can potentially love him and love kathy his wife and love my mom and dad is to choose joy so i thought what does that mean Whoa. and i thought it just means i'm going to go love on them mm-hmm. i'm going to love on kathy and love on my brother and love on my parents and serve them and just do everything i can to bring some light bring some joy just just to be present to do anything I can, any little thing. 
It's amazing. And I, I learned in that moment that you could choose joy. It didn't have to be misery. We didn't have to take it that route. And from that moment on, I said, I'm going to choose joy in my life. I want to, I want to choose joy every day. And there are some days when you don't feel like it. Uh, I'm totally. human. <laughs> Absolutely, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The dog, you know, made a mess of the carpet or something. Yeah. Like, well, currently he's chewing up a dog bone in the corner, if you're wondering what the noise <laughs> the is. sound <laughs> effect in the background. <laughs> How do we love on that right now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How well, can you not? But <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But there are days when you don't feel like it. Hey, we're, we're all human. That's right. But you can, again, it's not choosing happy, 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 happy. It's choosing joy and there's a difference between just think of the alternative joy or misery which would you choose right some people choose to be miserable Mm -hmm. and that's that's hurting yourself it hurts everybody around you yeah it affects the bottom line contagion (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah so i really think that that's the invite to everybody is at that next level choose joy that's amazing so i'm hearing here Love on yourself, and if you can't, others until you can love on yourself, but love on yourself. (laughs) Gratitude is huge. Gratitude, fill up those pages, and then choose joy as opposed to misery. These are are amazing practices to, and practice must be the key word here, because you're not, it's not going to, it's not about being perfect. It's like, it's coming to these foundational values and principles, I'm suspecting, to really integrate it into your your life, to, and, and as a result, I can attest, I've seen Dave's life. It just, like, your life seems to just flow. Like, even in the moments where I've seen you in sort of a dip where you're like, I don't even know where I'm going to be working next or what's going to happen. It's like, you still choose joy. And then things just seem to, like, flow. And it's the right people and the right opportunities and the insights and being, all the things that have happened to you. It's just Yeah, there, there are desert seasons. There, there are des- desert seasons for sure. Yeah. Um, Anybody that's listening that's going through a desert season, what would you say to them right now? Choose joy, <laughs> choose and, joy, and you will come out of it. Um, it, it. There is going to be. This may be a very dark time, may be a very lonely time. Yeah. Again, not happy, happy, but choose joy, not misery. Look for ways you can bring joy to others. If you're focused on yourself a lot, and it's becoming a pity party in some way, and I don't say that lightly because I know when you're down and depressed, it can be a very dark place. And unfortunately, we live in times where people are making some very dark choices for themselves that mm-hmm. are literally like, I'm, it's not worth going forward. And that's, that's so sad because you have so much to offer and you are so beautiful and you are so loved and you, you let it break through. And if you're not feeling it, then instead of focusing on yourself, go give joy to somebody yeah go reach out to somebody there's somebody who's in a dark place who you can relate to that nobody else may be able they're to waiting for to. you to show they're up waiting for you yeah you, yeah you can change their life yeah go and do something small for somebody just go and give joy without expecting anything in return this is not a scorecard this is really important part about the giving it's never about i'm going to give so i can get in return that's not it um the Go Giver um, is a is a book that um, Bob and I'm blanking on Bob's name right now, but maybe we can provide that in the notes for yeah. people. Go Giver, I love that. Yeah, the Go Giver, <laughs> and the idea is, you know, we talk about Go Getters, yeah, you know, and people who are like the Go Getter, but if you're a Go Giver and you you give without expecting a return, watch your life get amazing. I mm. mean, really amazing. And why is that? 
I believe that that's part of God's math. Uh-huh. It's, <laughs> I like you that. know, it's if uh, you can't, they say you can't outgive God. And I believe that. I believe that God has, our God. if God is truly love, then he really wants what's best for us. And I know that in times, I, I'll be very candid, when my brother was dying, my parents who have lived a life of service after they got, you know, smitten by the spirit, they were giving everything they could for God. And then here they're watching their son die and they're like, what, what, why, why us? Why, why would this happen? And you start to question and it's, it's hard. And, um, my mom had, um, asked that question out loud and heard back, like literally in her spirit, heard back, what is your role? And she said, I'm, as mother, my role is to bring my children to you. And she heard, well done. Wow. And that snapped it for her. That was what brought her peace. And I think when you are in a dark place, when you're in a lonely place, get outside yourself, give, even if you don't feel like giving. And it can start a po- that positive spiral that Bill talked about earlier. Yeah. Those positive spirals happen in all parts of our life if we get outside of ourselves. And... Um, it may take several acts. It may take a while. And um, it doesn't mean that the, sea, the desert season might not last a long time. And many people have had long deserts. Yeah. But I just encourage you to uh, reach outside yourself. Wow. I am blown away. I could talk to you for hours about all this stuff. Um, just I want to come back because we're getting close to the end of the podcast here. But your book and where people can contact you. I always have a joke, an ongoing joke about your blood type. I think it's B positive. <laughs> I, I think it is. I love it. But uh, if, just to stay inspired and to, to stay connected with you, where, where can people find you and your book? Yeah, jaworski.net, but it's easier to spell microsoftsecrets.com. So if you go to microsoftsecrets.com, that links to my blog, that links to uh, my social media, that links to everything. And you can see, uh, read more about the book there. Awesome. Definitely go check out Dave's book, Microsoft Secrets. It's a really amazing read. And I know there's probably a lot more to come too. So I hope you'll come back and share with us as uh, as the time warrants it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. Thank yeah. you for having me. Thank you, Dave, for being here. All right. Well, that was inspiring. I'm so glad you got a chance to meet Dave Jaworski as well. Make sure to go pick up his book, Microsoft Secrets, and stay in touch. As well, make sure that you join and subscribe to my podcast, Let's Connect. I'll be here every week with a brand new guest, a thought leader, a musician, somebody that's making a difference on the planet. So be sure to stay in touch, everyone, and have a wonderful week.